Hebrews chapter number three. Uh, uh, we are, we're going to continue the first part, the first part of tonight, really the first point is a continuation is a continuation of what we studied in, in chapter number two. Uh, uh, as you know, he, he said that, that Jesus is better than the angels. You know, Jesus is better than the prophets. And we're going to see where Jesus is better than Moses, than Moses, right? Moses is uh, uh, probably the most revered person besides Abraham in the Jewish nation. Uh, uh, Moses is the one that brought them to law. Moses is the one that that led them out of bondage, out of Egypt. Uh, Moses is probably their greatest connection to God. And and, and many, even today, many Orthodox Jews uh, only hold to the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the five first five books of the Bible. Uh, some think it's revere Moses so much they think that's the only. Uh, really anointed word of God. So uh, now he's having to, he's having to, if you'll remember, if, you, if you're new to the Hebrew study, uh, we have a group of believers who are struggling with their past. In other words, struggling uh, with their past religion. And, and they are being tempted to go back into Judaism. They're being tempted to go back into legalism and following the law and, and going to the temple and, and the book of Hebrews is written for their benefit and helping them understand what you have now is better than what you had then. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. And so we're just going to continue, uh, continue on with that theme there. All right. So Hebrews chapter number three, <clears throat> Hebrews chapter three and verse number one. <clears throat> if you get there, say amen. amen. Wherefore, wherefore, holy brethren, Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now that one verse just shows without a doubt, he's speaking to save people. All right. He's speaking to born again believers who was faithful, talking about Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every man is builded by, or every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant, servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, now Moses as a servant, but Christ as a, oh yeah, over his own house, whose house are we? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another day. Now let me say this. Uh, many people misinterpret that verse saying that you as a believer can be lost again. When he's, when you got to keep everything in context, okay? 
context, context, context is so important. Who did he just get through talking about? The nation of Israel at the, at the edge of the promised land. And because of their unbelief, they were not allowed to go into the promised land. And they wanted to depart from God and go back to Egypt. They go back to Egypt. Now, what does Egypt represent? Lostness, bondage to sin, right? Now, did God let them go back to Egypt? No. But what did he do? He disciplined them in the wilderness. Are y'all with me? Now, the, the will of God was for them to go into the promised land. They wanted to go back into Egypt. Now, is it possible for you to be saved and go against the will of God for your life? Sure is. Sure is. But see, God won't let you get lost again, though. He's going to discipline you. Are y'all with me? We'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Now, here, here's what he says in verse 13. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest that any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ. It seems like a little hum or something. In that. Work on that for me. Thank you. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcass fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not? So we see that they could not enter in, here's the key, because of, because of, that is the theme of the chapter. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for your, your truth. And Lord, it is so illuminating. It, it just opens our eyes to see who we are and, and how we behave sometimes and the warnings that we need to know and have. And Lord, I pray that you'll just, please just help us, Lord. Help us and guide us through your word, through these scriptures, and help us to become better Christians today than we were yesterday, better Christians tomorrow than we were today. Pray that your perfect will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. As we go through the outline, as we go through the outline, if you'll just look at the top of the page, keep in mind... Keep in mind what the title is. Now, now the, the, the series title, the series title is the preeminence of Christ. The whole book is about the preeminence of Christ, the whole book of Hebrews. But the, the lesson title is what? It's right underneath the theme title. All right. What's the lesson title? Say it again. Unbelievable unbelief. Unbelievable unbelief. The, the, the whole chapter really is dealing with it. Well, I, I say the whole chapter. Most of the chapter after the comparison between Moses and Christ. But it's dealing with unbelief. And, and what makes it unbelievable? It, what makes it unbelievable is what, uh, uh, what, how in the world could they see what God did in Egypt and see what God did at the Red Sea 
and see what God did in the wilderness and see how many times that God moved and God blessed and God answered and God protect and God provided after all of that and still yet not believing. It's unbelievable. But guess what? How many times has God blessed and God provided and God moved and God answered and God helped and God blessed. And then yet when a crisis comes, when a difficulty comes, we struggle with. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And this is what we're going to deal with tonight. This is what we're going to deal with tonight. So really, unbelievable unbelief is not so unbelievable, is it? Amen. Now look, let's start with verse one. Again, again, as way of review, uh, he is, he is helping believers. We're, we're speaking to believers who are struggling. All right. And, and, and you know, I, I, I seen something today that really helped me. What, do you remember what Peter and John was doing uh, in Acts chapter number three? Uh, uh, when, when they healed the, the lame man, they were going into the temple in the hour of prayer. So they were still practicing Jewish traditions. Paul, when he came back, when he came back, he wanted to take part in one of the Jewish feasts. So, so it wasn't just this particular set of Jews that were struggling with their past or struggling with their heritage. This was a common issue in this day, because you got to remember that the, the temple was still built. The temple was still in operation. Titus hadn't come in 70 and destroyed it yet. And so because of the persecution, because of the difficulty, because of the struggles they were having, they were tempted. And I'll say this, they were tempted to go back to something that was easier. And so he is saying, look, man, I promise you what you got now is better. We have to make a clean break from the past and look to the future. And so he brings up their most revered character, Moses, Moses, man. And you got to admit Moses is a hero. Moses did some incredible things. God, God, listen, all the prophets, this is what God said about it. All the prophets, I'll speak to them in a vision, but Moses, I'm going to speak mouth to mouth. Moses was a friend of God. Moses came off the mountain and his face was glowing because he had spent time in the glory of God. Man, Moses was the man. And, and when, when you, you refer to them going back to the law, you could really say, you could really say technically that they were going back to Moses. All right. Because it was, it was even called the law of Moses. The doctrine, the teachings of Moses. So he, he is having to, he's having to help them understand that the man Moses is not as great as the man Jesus. Are y'all with me? So let's look at it. Let's look at how he did that. Verse number one. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. That means they're saved, born again. They're believers in Christ. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now, first of all, if you take a notes, we, I want you to see, number one, we have something to ponder. ponder. 
Where do we get the word ponder from? In that first verse is the word consider. The word consider. All right. The word consider means to think about carefully, to understand fully. I didn't have, I didn't have space to write it in your notes, uh, but you need to write that down. That's, that's Webster's 1828 definition of consider. To think about, to think about carefully, to understand fully. In other words, what is he saying? <clears throat> I want you to focus on Jesus. I want you to carefully think about Jesus. I want you to get a good look of this man, Jesus. All right. So he says, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Now I'm going to, I want to give you two things. We're, we're going to read through verses number 11 in this, this main point, but I want you to look at, first of all, the review the review of men, they review, they review the characteristics and the, and the truths about Moses and Jesus. So we got a, we got a, a deal going on with Moses and Jesus right here. All right. So first of all, I want you to see the calling, the calling verse number one, Jesus was an apostle. Now, now keep in mind when we use the word apostle here, the definition of apostle means a sent one. Say it with me. A a sent one. That's all the word apostle means. This does not mean he was one of the 12 apostles, right? That God specifically chose uh, to help start the church and, and, and be the foundation and that type of thing. Uh, it just means a sent one. Jesus was sent by the father. What did Jesus do when he came? He said, I always do those things that please the father. I do what he tells me to do. He sent me. I'm an apostle. All right. So the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, I want you to look at his calling. He's an apostle. He is sent. So as an apostle, as an apostle, what does it say? Christ represents. Come on, everybody. You got to get with me. Christ represents. Okay. So as an apostle, when Jesus came to this earth, he told men what, what God said. This is what God wants you to know. This is how God wants you to live. This is what God wants you to believe. This is what God wants you to behave. Are y'all with me? He represented God. He was an ambassador from God to men. He's an apostle. But what does it also say he was in that verse? The apostle and High high priest. Now, we know that Moses was sent. So in a sense, he could use the term apostle. He was a sent one, but he never was able to be a high priest. That was, uh, that was the responsibility of his brother, the line of Aaron. Uh, but Jesus is our high priest. He has the office of, uh, 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 apostle as a representative from God to man. But then as a high priest, what is he? A representative of men to God. Now what, now what does that mean? How, what, what does that mean? It means when you mess up, he's going to God on your behalf. When you are struggling, 
When you are struggling, when you're having a hard time, when you're, when you're going through it, when you're in suffering and sorrow and pain and you're grieving, he is going to the father on your behalf. It says we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in every point. He was, he was tempted as we are. He went through what we went through. He felt what we felt. Now he can be a great priest to go and talk to the father because he knows and he feels what we feel. That's our, that's our savior. Moses couldn't do that. Moses couldn't do that, but Christ can. What you have now is better than what you had then, right? So, so we see the calling, the calling that Jesus had in verse one. Look at verse two. I want you to write this down. The the comparison, write the comparison. He begins to compare Moses, Moses and Jesus. Look what it says. Verse two, who was faithful talking about Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him. As also who Moses Moses was faithful in all his house. In other words, now, now keep on. You say, well, why is he, why is he kind of bragging on Moses too? Because you got to understand he is so revered by the nation of Israel. He can't just kick him to the curb. Are y'all with me? The writer's using a lot of wisdom right here. He is saying, Hey, you, 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 your Moses was awesome. Moses was faithful. In, 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 in other words, he's not saying Moses bad and Jesus good. He's saying Moses good, Jesus better. Are y'all with me? He said Moses was faithful. All right. Now look what it says. Look what it says. Verse, verse number two. For this man, Jesus, this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than who? Moses, insomuch as he who builded the house hath more honor than the house. And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. So we see the calling. We see the comparison. They were both sent. They were both apostles, right? They were both sent by God for a purpose, for a job. Uh, uh, they were both faithful. They were both faithful. But then look at the contrast. Look at the contrast. This is where he's going to start showing that Christ is better than Moses. So we see the calling, the comparison, and then the contrast. Moses, look what it says about Moses. In in verse number three, he begins to share. Verse two, he's, he's complimenting Moses. Verse three, he's making a proposition that Jesus is worthy of more glory then Moses, can y'all see that? Does that see that? It's obvious. And now he gives a, 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 a reason why he believes that to be so. For this man was counted worthy. Jesus was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. That every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. Now. Now, when we look at the word house, now keep in mind, keep in mind uh, that the illustration, the illustration is when you look at a, when you look at an edifice, when you look at something that's been built, uh, uh, listen, the the house doesn't get the glory. The one that built it does. 
They brag on the builder, not what has been built. Does that make sense? Now, the second part of this deal is you got to understand when he's using the term house here, he's not talking about sheetrock and studs and concrete and all of this. He's talking about a household. Now, how many of y'all have heard in, in the Old Testament, the house of David? When, when you refer to the house of David, you're not talking about the palace he lived in. You're talking about his family, all of his children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. He is of the house of David. So here we're talking about the house that's being talked about is the, the nation of Israel. Does everybody understand that? Say amen. amen. Now, what he is saying, what he is saying here is Moses... Moses was just part of the house, but Jesus is the builder of the house. Are y'all with me? Moses is just part of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. Now here's something even more significant. If he is the one that built the house, and in the very next verse, this, this just destroys all the people who says Jesus never claimed to be God. The Bible doesn't say Jesus is God or deity. It says the builder of all things is God. So in two verses, it just said Jesus is God. Are y'all with me? Now watch. Now watch. And you can compare that back to uh, Hebrews chapter number one. Uh, what is Hebrews chapter number one? It says uh, in verse number two, hath in these last days spoken to us by his son, who's his son? Jesus, Jesus whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world. So anyway, that's just, that's the commercial. You can write it in. It's not even in your notes right there. Amen. Moses, Moses is part of the house. Say that with me. Moses is but Jesus is what? The builder of the house. Then, then he gives another comparison. Then he gives another comparison. This is the best one. He says in verse five, and Moses verily was faithful. What's that next word? In, in all of his house as a servant. So Moses was a servant in the house. Now watch this. Watch this. But Christ as a son. What's the next word? Over the house. What, what is he saying? What is he saying? He said, let me tell y'all folks something. Now, now Moses was, a, he's a good fellow. And Moses did some great things. And, and Moses was faithful as a servant in the house. But Jesus is a son over the house. A servant will always serve the son. The son will always have more authority, will always have more dignity, will always have more honor than a servant. A servant will come and go, but a son will be for everlasting. Does that make sense? He's saying, man, Jesus is better than Moses. I'm telling you, Jesus is better than Moses. Moses was a servant in the house, but Jesus was a son over the house. He's, he is God, the builder of the house. So let's not, let's not get things out of order here. He says, Jesus is better than Moses. 
All right? Church, say amen. amen. Now, now, this is, this is the comparison and contrast between Jesus and Moses. He says in verse 6, But Christ ought as a son over his own house, whose house are we? Now he's talking about the church. How many of y'all know Jesus is the head of the church? If we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Now, now many people will try to pull that out and say, well, that means you can, you can walk away. You're only part of the house if you hold on. No, that's not what it's saying. It's not what it's saying. Holding on, holding on, which we old timers call it the, the term perseverance of the saints. All right. Say that with me. The perseverance of the saints means they make it all the way through, right? They hold on throughout and and they, now, now some people will try to say you have to persevere to be saved. Well, then that would make it works. And the Bible clearly says, for by grace, are you saved through faith that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So let me, let me submit this to you. Perseverance. Do you believe in perseverance? I absolutely do believe in perseverance. But perseverance, now here's where it's going to make sense. Perseverance is not a prerequisite of salvation. It is a proof of salvation. In other words, if they persevere, it proves they were legit. If they make it to the end, if they hold fast, that means they had the real deal. It's not a prerequisite. It's a proof. It's an evidence of being really saved. So how do you know that? Because John told us, he said, now they went out from us to show and to prove that they were not of us. He said, because if they were of us, they'd still be with us. You know what he's saying? If they were legit, they would persevere. But if they do not persevere, it means they were not legit to begin with. Now, this is a, this is a, a go back and forth. You know, some, some denominations will teach you, well, uh, you can be saved and lose it. You know, people, you can walk away from, walk away from Christ and, and uh, uh, if you don't persevere, that means you lost it. No, it means you never had it. Because you say, how do you know that? There's so many verses that teach eternal security. There's so many verses that teach. Jesus said, I will lose none. All that the father gives me, I'm not going to lose any of them. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. Now, here's, here's what he's saying. This is proof of salvation. Now he goes into, it's almost like he totally changes topics. And he just, he just, he sees a squirrel and his attention span just is shot right here. First he's talking about Moses and now he's talking about Jesus and the comparison. Jesus is better than Moses. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden he goes all the way back to the old Testament and he starts quoting Psalm 95. And in Psalm 95, it's talking about the history of Israel when they came out of Egypt and got to the promised land and because of unbelief didn't go in. And, and so the first thing I want you to see was the review of men. But now I want you to see this. Now I want you to write this down. I want you to remember there's a reminder. Verses seven 
7 through 11 is a reminder of mistakes. Now, who is he, who is he addressing? What nationality of Christians is he addressing? Hebrews, Hebrews which are Jews. Jews. Now, what is he? What, you say, why? Why is he bringing this up from verses 7 through verse 11? Basically saying, don't act like your grandpappy. Don't act like your ancestors. Don't do what your ancestors did. In other words, what do they say? What do they say? If you don't know history, you're doomed to. And so what's he doing? He doesn't want them to be ignorant of history. So he reminds them of history. He's I'm going to tell you what happened to them. So you don't go out and do the same thing. If, if that makes sense, say amen. Now, now, so what does he do? He reminds them of the mistakes that they made. Look what it says. Verse seven. This is this section. This section will be verses seven through 11. All right. He's quoting Psalm 95. He says, wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation. And, and I'm going to explain what that is in just a second. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Now watch. What was the provocation? In Numbers, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 22, this is what it says. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swear unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it Deuteronomy 9:22 and at Tabera Mesa and whatever you want to call that right there Kibra I've practiced it I'm telling you I wanted to get it right for you guys I've listened to it on my on my Bible phone but I've messed it up every time so you can call it whatever you want to call it but in that place ye say it with me everybody ye Provoke the Lord to wrath. How did they provoke him? Look what it says. Verse 23. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea saying, go up and possess the land that I have given you. When then ye rebelled against the commandment of the Lord, your God, and ye believed him not and hearkened nor hearkened to his voice. Now, what, what are we saying? God goes to Egypt. He sends Moses to Egypt. And he, he delivers the nation of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery. What an incredible thing in an incredible way. Did miracle after miracle after miracle. And now they are out of Egypt and, and God brings them across the wilderness. Now they're on the edge of the promised land. And he said, all you got to do is go in there and claim your inheritance. Wherever you step, I've already given it to you. And by the way, the nation of Israel are not occupiers. They own the land. God has already given it to them. And by the way, by the way, that little map that you see right now, if you Google Israel on a map, that's not what God gave them. 
God gave them all the way to the Euphrates River, all the way to the Nile River, but in between all of that chunk, they're going to have one day. Anyway, that's just thought. But here they are standing on the edge of the promised land. And they said, well, now, but now before we go in, <clears throat> before we go in, uh, let's send some spies in there. Let's, let's check it out. Let's get a committee together. And let's, let's, uh, let's, let's check it out and do some investigation and, and let's come up with a plan. Well, y'all know what happened. They took a man out of each tribe and sent him in. And the first 10 come running back, crying, whining, come on, we can't do it. We can't do it. Oh my goodness. All the, the land just engulfs the people. They're so big that we look like grasshoppers in their sight. We can't do it. We can't do it. Gave an evil report. And, and Moses probably started counting. He got to 10. And he said, what? We're missing two. Who are we missing? They got to looking around. Oh, that's Joshua and Caleb. And all of a sudden, here comes Joshua and Caleb over a hill. And they were slowing down because they had a, they had a log on their shoulders with a cluster of grapes so big it took two men to carry it. Had grape juice dripping off their face all down their elbows. Smiling from ear to ear, grinning like a possum eating glue, saying, hey, this is great. Man, you ain't going to believe what we saw. Look at the size of these grapes. Hey, pick up the tits, baby. It's time to go. That's what happened. I just described the Alabama version. And they cried and whined and complained. And man, Caleb and Joshua jumping up and down. And Moses said, hey, God promised that we can do it. He can do it. They said, we ain't do it. We're going back to Egypt. Let's, let's, let's get us a leader. Let's find us a leader that will take us back to Egypt. And when that happened, that was enough. God said, and God had every right to destroy them all. And would have if it hadn't been for Moses. And he said, I'll tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to let Joshua and I'm going to let Caleb. But every single person 20 years old and up will never see the promised land. In other words, if you wasn't a teenager... You're done. And for 40 years, they were going to have to wander around in the wilderness till all of them died. All of them died. So basically, the, uh, the oldest group in Israel, besides Joshua and Caleb, would be 59 years old after those 40 years. Now, what did, what did and we're going to talk about we're going to talk about, see, because the key to understanding this chapter is understanding the geography. Understanding Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land. Egypt is a type of being lost. You are in bondage. It's a place of lostness. It's a place of sin. 
You were in bondage to sin. How did they get out of Egypt? By the blood of the? Y'all with me? He delivers them by the blood of the lamb. When I see the blood, I will. And so now they're on their way. They get to the promised land. And the promised land is a place of milk and honey. The promised land is a place where he said, you're not going to have to build no houses. You're not going to have to dig no wells. You're not going to have to plant no vineyards. It's going to be set and ready. All you got to do is move in and claim what I'm already given to you. I'm going to go before you. It's a, it's a place representing victory and joy and provision, the inheritance of Christ. But you got to believe it. You can walk in victory, you can walk in joy, you can walk in provision, you can walk in power, you can walk in peace. But if you don't believe God, you can be born again, delivered from bondage, and wandering in the wilderness of unbelief. Wow. So, no, 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 no. If they're in the wilderness, they're lost, huh? Because God was with them. God was with them just like he was when they first come out. They wandered with God. But because of their. Now watch, let me, let me show you a picture. This maybe maybe seeing a little bit will help. Will help. I, I, I hope y'all can see this at Fairview. Uh, Egypt is a type of what? Sin, bondage. They were slaves. So this is lost. Say that with me. Egypt is a type of being. All right. They came out of Egypt by the blood of the lamb. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Night of the Passover and go to the next one. This is the wilderness. And by the way, this is legit what it looks like. This is exactly what it looks like. All right. So they went from bondage and slavery through the wilderness to, to, to the last one. Here's Canaan. It is, it, is, it is incredibly beautiful. And God said, this is where I want you. This is what I got planned for you. This is what I have prepared for you. It was never, now stay with me now. It was never God's intention for the nation of Israel to stay in Egypt or the wilderness. It was his intention for them to go enjoy that. But they couldn't because of unbelief. Now, this, this will help us understand knowing the geography and what it represents will help us understand the rest of this study. Now watch. Now watch. Something to ponder. Something to ponder. From verses 7 through 11, we find the mistake of Israel. They didn't believe God. They provoked God. And because they provoked God, they couldn't go into rest. They couldn't go into victory. They couldn't go into peace and joy and happiness. Now, number one, something to ponder. Number two, something to prevent. So he says in the next verse, verse 12, take heed. Be careful. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you. Now, now watch. 
He says, any of you. Who are the you? Who are the you? Let me go back. Let me go back and read it. Holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. All right. So we know he's talking to saved people. Saved people can have an evil heart of unbelief. Hello, y'all with me? Getting kind of quiet. Now watch. Now watch. Departing from the living God, meaning his will for your life, his presence in your life. They wanted to go back to Egypt. God's will, God's will was the promised land. But because of their evil heart of unbelief, they wanted to depart from God's will and God's purpose and God's plan and where God intended them to be and go back to And by the way, did he let him go back? No. no. God's not going to let you go back into a state of lostness. But he'll beat the devil out of you in the wilderness. He'll make you want to go to the promised land. Do I have a witness right there from some wilderness people? Mm -hmm. Watch this. Watch this. What do we need to prevent? First of all, he says a heart of unbelief. Write that down. What is it? What is the, the most desired? The most desired thing that God desires from his children. Some would say obedience. That's way up on the list. But the thing that tickles the heart of God more than anything is faith. And let me just and make it as simple as possible. God just wants you to believe him. God just wants you to believe him. What was the big problem? God said, watch this. Watch this, y'all. And he did all those plagues to Egypt. The Bible says he brought the nation of Israel out with a strong arm. In other words, did miracle after miracle after miracle. He put fire in between the, 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 uh, the Egyptian army and the nation of Israel till the Red Sea was split. They walk across on dry ground and God's just showing them miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And when he got them to the promised land, his greatest desire was for them to believe that he would do what he said he would do. Say, how do you know that? Well, the Bible says this for therein it Romans 1 17 for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just, just. oh, the just who are the just the saved. So he's not saying, listen, they've already got saving faith. Because they're just. Y'all with me? But he wants the just. The saved. To live by. He doesn't want you to just have faith to get saved. He wants you to have faith to live your life. He wants you to have faith to go through your battles. He wants you to have faith to believe in that he's going to provide for your needs and he's going to answer your prayers and he's going to get you through your darkest hours. He wants you to believe him. Listen, look what the next verse says. 
Hebrews 11. Now keep in mind, keep in mind the whole point of this book. He is addressing Christians, Hebrews who are going through great persecution. They're going through great trials of affliction. They are under great burden. And he's saying, listen, God wants you to believe him. Don't act like your ancestors. Believe him. It says this, Hebrews eleven six. but without, Faith. everybody, without, Faith. it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, how do we end up with a heart of unbelief? Well, it's kind of in stages. In verse 10, it says they err, they do always err, E-R-R, they do always err in their heart. So it starts with an erring heart. I looked that word up. Err means to roam. Means to wander. Means to go astray. You, you, you see, we just start. We just start roaming. We just start. This is almost like the illustration of a spouse. What ha- what what causes divorce and what causes they just begin to roam. Their focus gets to be on something else. Instead of focusing on their spouse and focusing on their marriage, they're they're roaming. They're they're just wandering. They, they hadn't. I mean, they hadn't. They hadn't. It ain't blatant sin yet, but they're just starting to think and they're not focusing. It's just like a sheep. The sheep's supposed to stay with the shepherd and with the flock. But what's he doing? Carelessly. He just starts going off on his own and roaming and not listening to the shepherd, not being focused. And now he looks around, he's by himself, and here come the wolves. An erring heart is a wandering heart. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a roaming heart. But then it says this, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of what? unbelief. You see, first it's just a roaming, straying, wandering heart. Then that turns into a faithlessness. A heart with no faith. No belief that God... See, you hadn't spent no time with God. You've been wandering around in this world and wandering around in worldliness and you hadn't had fellowship with God and fellowship with uh, in His Word, had fellowship with His people. You've been forsaking assembly yourselves together. Now, all of a sudden, you find yourself having no faith. Who would have thought? You find yourself struggling to believe. You find yourself struggling to believe that God will move in your behalf. That God will answer your prayer. That God will. Can't even find your Bible. You don't know where that is. You say, why is that significant? Because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the. You see, faith in God comes from knowing more about him. And the more you know about him, the more faith you're going to have in him. But the only way you're going to know about him is to have the only book on earth that will tell you who he is. But if you're just roaming, wandering aimlessly, not, not focusing on his word, not focusing. What did he say? Consider Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You're not focused on him. You're not keeping your eyes on him. The minute that Peter took his eyes off the Lord while he was walking on the water and he started looking at the ways representing your problems, he began to sink. 
Then we go from a, say it with me. We go from a erring heart, verse 10. We go from a erring heart to a disbelieving heart. Then we move to a verse 15. Harden not your hearts. What does that mean? To render. Oh, y'all didn't like that, did you? What does it mean to render? Now, in the beginning, you're just wondering, you're just not focused, you're just careless. Then you're struggling. Now you got an attitude. You're just stubborn. God didn't do what I wanted. He ain't answered my prayers, he ain't even listened to me. Here we are, get to the promised land, ain't no giants in there. And he hadn't, he hadn't ceased to be who he is. Amen. He hadn't ceased to be faithful in his promises and his provision. He's God and he's always been God and always will be God. He didn't go nowhere. We don't want to stray. All right. Something to prevent. A, say it with me, a heart of. Here's a, here's a biggie. We need to prevent unrealized inheritance. An unrealized inheritance. They're, they're, they're at the edge of the promised land looking over into what would have been theirs. And because of their unbelief, they were not able to realize their inheritance. Now, let, let's read this for just a second. What does Canaan represent to us as Christians today? It represents, no, 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 no. There's no battles in heaven. There's no bloodsheds in heaven. It represents the victorious Christian life. The life with an inheritance, the blessings of God. In other words, Canaan represents a a life of a Christian fully realizing all the blessings and favor of God upon his life. Now, let let me show you. It represents our spiritual inheritance in Christ. Israel had to cross the river by faith, a picture of the believer as he dies to self in the world. Now watch, what what, what do you mean by that? All right, they come out of Egypt by the blood. The Red Sea is a type of baptism. They go through the wilderness and, and listen, when all is said and done and it's time to go into the inheritance, it's time to claim what was rightfully theirs given by God, they had to cross the Jordan. And the Jordan represents death. The Jordan is the nastiest river. It takes off, it comes out just as crystal clear and pretty and cold, am I right? And cold and comes and goes all through Israel and picks up all the nasty and all the pollutants and everything. And and then it dumps all the nasty into the Dead Sea. And the salt purifies it. But the Jordan represents death. Why do you think Jesus was baptized in the, he was identifying with man. And when you cross the Jordan, you see, you can be saved and not deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. 
You can be out of Egypt. You can be, uh, listen, uh, covered by the blood of the land. You can be delivered and you can be free and set free from bondage. And yet in the wilderness of unbelief, because you're not willing to die to yourself at the Jordan, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Stubborn. I want what I want. Anyway, I'm running out of time. I got to hurry. Watch this. They had to step out by faith and claim the land for themselves. Just as believers today must do. Now we can understand what the wilderness wanderings represent. Watch this now. This is important, guys. We know that Canaan represents the victorious Christian life, the life of the full blessings of God, the full benefits and favor of God on your life, joy, peace, uh, excitement, uh, uh, all of everything that God has. Joy, unspeakable and full of glory. That's not where most Christians are today. Say what describes most Christians? The wilderness. The wilderness wanderings represent the experiences of believers who will not claim their spiritual inheritance in Christ, who doubt God's word and live in restless what? Unbelief. Unbelief. To be sure God is with them. They're saved. They're not lost. God is with them, just like he was with them, the nation of Israel in the wilderness. But they do not enjoy the fullness of God's blessing. They are out of Egypt, but not yet in Canaan. They are out of Egypt, but they are not yet in Canaan. Egypt equals, come on everybody, y'all getting quiet. We might need to have an altar call. Egypt equals, wilderness equals, Canaan equals. Number three, hurry, hurry, we're we're five minutes, we're out of time. What was number one? Y'all got to flip back, don't you? Number one, something to ponder. Number two, number three, something to practice. What do we do to keep us from getting to that shape? What do we do to keep from getting a hard heart? What do we do from not erring in our heart, wondering First, there needs to be examination. He says, take heed, be careful. Be careful. You say, why did he bring up what their ancestors did so they could check their life? Are we doing what they did? Are we doing what they did? Are, are Are we exercising unbelief? You see, because it had gotten hard on them. Great persecution, losing their jobs, losing their income, uh, losing their freedom. You know, under the threat of death, it got hard. Just like it looked hard going into the promised land. He said, now you're going to back up like they did? Examine your life. You know, everybody in here, are, 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 examine yourself. 
Is every single day of your life a crazy struggle just to keep your head above water and to breathe? Or are you living in joy? And, and, and listen, let me tell you something. You could, you, could be, you could be going through great difficult. Paul was in prison, and this is what he said. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. While he was sitting in a stinking rat hole. Now, I don't want nobody to think I'm preaching at you because I, I'm preaching to myself too. Because I know this is easy preaching and hard living. But God expects us to have joy. Are we enjoying our Christian life? Are we, are we experiencing that? I, I mean, really, are we, are we having the abundant life that God speaks about in John chapter number 10? The thief cometh to steal and kill and destroy, but I am coming that you might have life and have it how? Or is every day a fight and every day a struggle? Maybe we haven't realized the power that we got. Maybe we haven't realized the favor of God on our life. God said you are completely, you are completely furnished for everything you need. I'm going to be honest with you. There's been times that I've been walking in the wilderness. It wasn't that I didn't have power to overcome a situation. I just didn't believe I had it. And the Bible says, in the simplest way I can tell you, the Bible says you have everything you need. God gave it to you. The moment you got saved, you've got all the graces you need to live in victory. He even, Paul even said it this way, more than conquerors. Hmm. Examination. Then we need exhortation. Examination, we take... Come on, everybody, quickly. Two minutes and 14 seconds. Examination, we take... That's verse 12. But then exhortation, we take heart. Verse 13. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily. Exhort. The word... The, excuse me, the, the, the phrase, take heart means to gain courage or confidence. You know what he's telling these, these believers? Man, you need to encourage each other every day. We need each other, y'all. These one, once a week Christians, they're getting the devil beat out of them. He even tells them later on, we're going to get to it. We had not got there yet, but we're going to get to it in Hebrews where they, they've been laying out of church. And they've not been assembling together. They've not been coming together. He said, man, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But exhorting one another. More and more as you see the day of prayer. We don't need less and less. We need more and more. We need to encourage one another. Man, you need to tell somebody before they leave, hey, you're going to be all right. Is there anything we can do for you? Can, hey, can I pray for you? What can I pray for you? Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Listen, I don't know if y'all know this, but we all live out there. It blows my mind. All the people get on social media all the time want to explain to everybody how, how difficult their life is. News flash. We're all living in the same broken world. 
My heart might not be your heart, but my heart still as hard as your heart. Hello. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Take heed and take heart. Then I like this one. Then take hold. Take hold. Look at there. What word are we going to use? Expectation. Look what this, look what it says. In verse 16. For some, when they had heard, did provoke. What did they hear? They heard God said, I've given you this land. Every place your foot will step, I have given to you. I will go, but he even said he's going to go before him like a, like a a bee. Yeah. I'm going to send a stinger. I'm going to go before you. I'm going to win the battles. I'm going to do it all for you. All all you got to do is go in there and claim it. I'm going to drive them out before you. They heard that and they provoked him. This, this is how they provoked him. No. Y'all with me? But that's not the point. You already knew that. But watch what it says. When they had heard, did provoke some. How be it? How be it? What's the next two? Not all of them. How be it not all that came out of Egypt by Moses? Preacher, what are you saying? Listen, you can be like the rest of the committee or you can be like Joshua and Caleb. Let me read it. Two men in that nation, Caleb and Joshua, illustrate the attitude described in Hebrews 3, 6. Caleb and Joshua believed God and God honored their faith. These two men of faith had confidence in God's word that they, sh- they would one day enter into Canaan. Believers today may enter and enjoy the spiritual inheritance in Christ. We must be careful lest we fail to believe God's word for it is only as the word is mixed with faith that it can accomplish its purposes. Are you between Egypt and Canaan? Let me give you, let me give you four words. We're only two minutes late. Let me, let me give you these four words and we'll pray. I'm not going to preach them. I'm going to just give them to you. The Bible says in Psalm 78, 40, how oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God. Look at this and limited the Holy One of Israel. You know what the word limited means? See this black stripe right here? See this black stripe right here? That black stripe says you can go. I am limited. Y'all with me? Uh, that's, that, is, that is literally what the word means, to draw a line in the sand. You know what? You know what? This is what it means. How'd they limit the Holy One? There's no limit to what he can do, but there is a limit to what he will do. And depending on their faith, they're drawing a line in the sand. God says, because you're not going to believe me, 
This is as far as we're going. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Amen. Four, Four areas where unbelief will limit in your life. First of all, miracles. Matthew 13, 58 says he did not many miracle or mighty works there because of their what? Unbelief. Unbelief will limit miracles, will limit ministry. Jesus came to his disciples apart and said, why could we not cast him out? Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you should say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Ministry is limited by unbelief. Miracles are limited by unbelief. Unbelief will limit merriment, joy. Say, where do you get that? Mark 16, 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him, and as they mourned and... And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, what? Watch what happens. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their... And hardness of heart. Because they believed not them which had seen after he was written. She come back skipping, hopping, jumping, shouting. Woo! Full of joy. What were they? Mourning and weeping. I wonder how much of our joy is lost because of our unbelief. It limits... I think on some of y'all's I put meditation and some mediation. It's the same thing. It's your prayers. James 1, 6, but let him ask in faith and nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and toss. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Child of God, believe him. Believe him. Listen, he says, man, don't act like you, don't act like your ancestors. Believe God. Put your faith in him. He'll bring you through. He'll bring you through. Don't stay in the wilderness. Don't stay in the wilderness. Get to your inheritance. 